Okay, well, I have wanted to, um, over the next few weeks, as the Lord permits, um, talk to us as a staff as we're preparing for uh, Christmas, and we're in Advent season. And um, I've just been contemplating around um, the idea of Moses is better than Jesus. Um, We see this in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. And Randall, since you did so good for us the other day, I'll probably have you read um, Leviticus here in just a minute. Only I would bring in Leviticus to the Christmas story. But here we are, so it'll be good. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. And it says this, Yet Jesus has been considered worthy of much greater honor and glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And it goes on to say, For of course every house is built and furnished by someone, but the builder of all the things and the furnisher is God. And Moses certainly was faithful in the administration of all God's house as a ministering servant, a testimony to the things which were spoken of, um, the revelation given afterwards by Christ. You know, I think it's interesting because, and I kind of touched on it a little bit on First Wednesday, of this ideal that Jesus is greater than Moses. And I think the biggest hang-up, especially with our Jewish brothers and sisters, and uh, they have this mindset of Moses being greater. And you see it even the way that Matthew writes out his gospel is he's trying to make sure that the people know, like, don't idolize Moses. Don't idolize what he did. Like, Christ is the fulfillment of that. And so I was just pondering upon this idea yesterday as I was uh, sitting at Torchy's, Anna, because Torchy's surrounded by the devil, (laughs) bringing the light to dark places quite literally. So gazing upon Satan as I studied Holy Scripts. (laughs) Are we good? But yeah, it'll get you fired up, pun intended, or not intended. Okay. Um, So just thinking about the, the similarities of the two, of Moses and Jesus. And I thought about how when we see Moses, we see that Pharaoh, as he's about to be um, born, that Pharaoh issues a decree for all babies to be killed. So we see the next is we see that uh, we go down the list and is he was born and he was kept hidden. I was thinking about the sequence of things. And then you go down and Moses' mom calls him good. And that that should be noted in the original translation. It was actually goodly, G-O-O-D-L-Y, like goodly. Like it was, he he was being called something. This is significant. So you want to kind of keep it in your brain. And then I go on down and we see the daughter of Pharaoh finds him, right? And she she sees something special on him, right? She deems him special. She's like, this isn't just an ordinary baby. This is, there's something special about this child. We see that his mom put him in a basket. Or some would say an ark. And so this is not what you would put a baby in. Uh, No mom gives birth to a baby and then is like, you know what, I'm going to put my baby in a basket and float it down a river. Nobody ever, right, does this. 
And I was just contemplating of, uh, again, like we've been in this Leviticus study with the college, um, with our year twos, and just contemplating Moses versus Jesus. And so then I was thinking about Jesus when he is born, we see Herod declares all babies to be killed. We see both consult astrologers. So both of them consult astrologers about what is going to happen to these babies. And then we see Jesus is uh, literally go born and kept hidden. Um, he's born in a hidden place. And I thought about it, how providential that was, is that even when you think about Jesus being called the second Adam, only God was there to witness his birth. And, and here Jesus is, only God is there to witness his birth. It's not like Mary's parents are there. It's not like any extra characters are there. It's the Lord himself. So both were kept hidden in, in a place. Then I want you to see this, is that the light shines around the shepherds. Why is this significant? Well, I begin to think about good. Why good? Why Moses' mom calls him good or goodly, if you will. The last time something, the first, we always go to the law of first mention. And when we see something first mentioned in scripture, so when we see something happen later, we can go back to the first time that happened. The first time that we saw that it was good was when light shone and God said it was good. And even when we see Moses later would come down from the mountain and his light, the light would shine around his face as he's carrying the presence of God and he's carrying what? The words of the Lord. And I want you to think about this, that Jesus, it's not just light upon a man, it's light to all mankind. Light coming in in dark places and is saying he is good. And it's literally as John chapter one later would write, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth, grace and truth. Here he brought just truth. Here we see grace and truth have met. Okay, are we good? So we see this parallel going together. In fact, in Isaiah uh, 9, 2, it says that people are walking in darkness, have seen a great light, literally testifying of this moment right here. Shepherds walking in a darkness, seeing a great light, proclaiming Christ proclaiming the goodness of who he is. So where it was all about one person, now it's about all mankind. It's literally, it's a magnification of what had happened here in shadow is in reality. It's not just for a person any longer. It's for all people. Even the angels say, this will be for all men, right? Okay, so then here we see the daughter of Pharaoh, and then we see in Luke chapter 3, when, um, I believe it's 3, maybe it's 4, sorry, uh, Luke uh, 2.36, sorry, 2.36, we see a prophet named Anna. So where it was the daughter of Pharaoh proclaiming something special on him, now there's a woman who's Anna, who's a daughter of the king, who's been waiting for the coming of the Messiah, has been sitting at the temple courts waiting for to see him, literally devoted her whole life to this. And she sees the man, Jesus, the baby Jesus, and she goes, this is who I've been waiting for this whole time. So we see Moses was declared by a natural daughter of a king, but here we see a heavenly daughter of a king declaring who he is. Is this good? 
Isn't it so good? And so then we see the basket slash ark, and you've already made this connection. We have a manger. Jesus placed in a manger. Both of them placed in something different. Both of them placed in something that didn't represent what uh, what a baby should be lying in. And this is just free, just bonus material. And in Luke, we see that we see Joseph and Mary at the manger. And then at the end of Luke, he ends it the same as how he began because it's a different Joseph. This is Joseph of Arimathea who comes giving a tomb that had never been slept in. And he gives a thousand years salvation with Mary. So it begins with a Joseph and Mary and it ends with a Joseph and Mary and a man laying in a place, God laying in a place. Come on, that could not hold him. The manger wasn't his final place. The tomb wasn't his final place. Is this good? Are y'all okay? Okay. Um, So in thinking about this, I was like, uh, I was thinking about how when Moses is born, God is developing a rescue plan to save his people. They had no idea what was happening. They would go through years more of oppression. Uh, in fact, he would spend it, some would say he was 40 whenever he kills a man, flees to the wilderness. Then he was, the Lord calls him back in. So let's just say 40 years, they felt like they were forgotten. Jesus, 30 years, people are praying, believing God for thousands of years, and for 30 years, he's dwelling amongst them. They have no idea what God is preparing. In the whole season of Advent, what does Advent literally mean? It means waiting, waiting for a person who is Christ. And and I think it's interesting because in their oppression, in their difficulty, in their heartache, they had no idea that behind the scenes, God was orchestrating a plan that wouldn't just coincide with everything in their life, but throughout all of history and time. That God was interwoving like all of these details that Moses' mom thought it was just her being forgotten and oppressed, but she had no idea there was going to be another woman standing thousands of years later going through shadowing the same experiences that she had gone through. And I thought about what things are God is God doing in our life that we have no idea that it's in our waiting, it causes us to trust. It's in our waiting that we're trusting that the Lord is doing something behind the scenes and all these things. And so then I begin to think about, because we've been talking about um, with the college about Leviticus. And I put this in my notes for Sunday. I don't know if I'll do it or not. But um, I was thinking about Leviticus and about just the providence of the prophetic calendar of God. So the same way all of you are getting calendars right now, God has a calendar, and it's a prophetic calendar, and he's been building it out for a long time. And so in the college, um, year twos, we talked about how um, Leviticus is is a beautiful book, and the beginning and the end, it's written in a chiastic structure, which means it has a mountain. It's It comes to a pinnacle point, which is the Day of Atonement. It begins on the sacrifices, and it ends on the feasts. And so they par- they go uh, with each other. They match each other as, as God's providence. And we've been talking about in the college how there's a portion of the, of the offerings that were given that Christ fulfilled, but there's a portion that we're still obligated to do as New Testament believers. And so let's, uh, let's go into Leviticus chapter 23. 
Are y'all happy? Okay. Are y'all good? Okay, great. Um, Leviticus 23. All of it? Or just start? Start with one. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy, come, uh, convocations, these are my feast. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of uh, solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover, and the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do customary work on it, but you shall offer, offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf, and the day after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you have... When you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And you shall count for yourself from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah, and they shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with uh, leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priests shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs, and they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that that it is a holy convocation to you. And you shall do no customary work on it, and it shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest, and you shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. That's good. Y'all give it up for Randall. All right, did any of you black out? All right, Morgan, Emily, Denver, did you black out? No? Jimmy, did you black out? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, any, you blacked out. Randall's like, I read it and I blacked out. <laughs> okay, 
So uh, does all that kind of feel a little confusing? Yes. Okay. But God's giving us a really important thing. He's giving us his holy calendar. So he's like, hey guys, save the day. We got some parties coming up. These things are going to be litty lit. All right. And so everybody's like, woo, reading this. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to put it together for you. The first one he gives you is Passover. If you do Bible graffiti, um, I would encourage you to mark this in your Bible. And this is in verses four through five. And we see Passover, Passover mentioned, which of course, before this, we have the Sabbath that's given to us. So we have Passover, which is verses four through five. So I put brackets in my Bible and then that way, because we don't learn truth, we remember truth and it's the truth that we remember that sets us free. So we have that verses four through five. The next feast that we see is unleavened bread. And this is going to be six to eight. The next one we're going to see is nine to 14. And this is first fruits. Then we're going to go 15 to 21, and we've got Pentecost. Then we're going to have the Feast of the Trumpets, and this is going to be 23 through 25. And then we're going to go into the Day of Atonement, chapter 26 in Leviticus. That is the pinnacle of our chiastic structure. If you are... Jewish, you would call it Yom Kippur. And that is 26 through 32. And then we're going to go down here. It's going to be the booths. Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. And it would be like the Feast of Booths, Celebration of Booths. Okay. So, I want you to think about this, the Passover. What happened on the Passover for Moses? Um, so the angel of death passed over. Okay, for in the New Testament equivalent, this would be when Jesus goes to the cross. All right, and so then we have the unleavened bread, and this is symbolic of Christ's burial. This is symbolic of Christ's burial. This is the parallel of each because Jesus, when he was up in the upper room, he takes Passover. Then it's the day of unleavened bread. That's the day that Jesus was sitting in the grave for three days. Then we have the resurrection, which is the first fruits. Jesus is, Paul would say, the first fruits among the dead. Then we have Pentecost. What is Pentecost in to Moses? Does anybody know what is Pentecost to Moses? It happened 50 days after they left Egypt. It's the day that Moses comes down the mountain with the word. So it's literally what, for us, we celebrate what? What do we celebrate on Pentecost? Holy Spirit. We are given the spirit of God. So where one man went up and got a word from the Lord and comes down and tells the people, now God gives the Holy Spirit to who? All men. Do you see how this is correlating with the other side? How God's so intentional with everything he does. Now, if you were to do, if you were writing this chart, I would do a line right here. And then you have the Feast of the Trumpets. I believe here at this point, I've always said this, I think this is where the rapture will happen. Because every time the rapture is mentioned, it talks about the sound of a trumpet. And that would be the feast of trumpets. And so then we have the second coming. And then we have finally the millennial reign. What I want you to see is that God is so providential in everything he's doing. 
And as we're thinking about this Advent season and as we're going through Advent, usually what happens is people will, um, they have an Advent wreath and they have candles and every Sunday you light another candle. And meaning that I just, I would like you to think about this or to consider this, that in our waiting, our light should shine brighter, not grow dimmer. And when you think about uh, the Advent season, because as they were waiting, as Moses' people were waiting for an exodus out of Egypt, as they were waiting for a deliverer, there was a deliverer coming behind the scenes and they didn't even know. And as the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah, there was a Messiah that was crying out in a little town called Bethlehem, and they didn't even know. And I, I thought about this. Are y'all, are y'all still okay? I might go just slightly over. Is that okay? Okay, so I, I thought about this because our light should shine brighter, right? Moses was goodly. The, the idea of the light shining all around the shepherds and declaring the birth. Then I began to think about the star. And I listened to a really old, old podcast of Uncle John. I've got this whole Dropbox folder full of it. And he said something that I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he said in the, that podcast, he said, we always celebrate Christ's birth on December 25th, but actually it's believed to have happened in September is Christ's birth, is actually in the window of time, sometime between September 10th and September 23rd. When you look into astrology, there's two times that a star showed up that is unexplainable. Once in September, between those dates, which would have been the star that stood over the place in Bethlehem where Jesus was born, and the other, it moved north to Jerusalem in the next year in December. And I want you just to consider this, is that in in our season where we're celebrating Christmas, which is Christ's birth, we're actually celebrating his conception. Because if you reverse back the calendar from September, would have meant that Mary conceived in December. And so what we're saying Christ is born was actually Christ conceived. And without even knowing it, we're declaring God's faithfulness in our waiting that we're celebrating, it's almost like a prophetic declaration that we're declaring Christ is born when actually Christ was conceived. Because as Christians, we believe that at conception, there is life. Come on, Jeremiah 29. Before you were formed, I knew you, right? Like Jeremiah 1, rather. I knew you, right? God knows us. Like He, There's this plan that's working all behind the scenes all this time. And so the star, when it shows up the second time, moves north to Jerusalem, because why? Mary's there, and the wise men are journeying nine months to come into the place where Jesus was. And so I I say this to say the providence of God, how there's no detail left behind. And there's a portion of God's prophetic calendar that we're still waiting on. We're still waiting his second coming. We're still waiting the millennial reign. We're still waiting all those things. Whether you believe in the rapture or not, I think that's a mute point. But what I do know is this, is that because I can see God's faithfulness in every detail, I can believe God in my waiting right now. And that even in this Advent season, 
May our waiting grow brighter. May our waiting become brighter in every day and every year that we don't wane in our belief, that we don't grow weary in our belief. But we know that if God was faithfully working behind the scenes for thousands of years, weaving together this beautiful story, how much more faithful will he be today in our waiting, no matter where we are, no matter what we're believing God for. And so right now, just right where you're at, Father, I thank you for every person. Uh, God, I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful in our waiting seasons. And so, Lord, even as we see this, God, of the, the intentional detail of Scripture, that, Lord, even chapters of the Bible that we do literally black out, but, God, I thank you that it's even in those that those details are so beautiful. And so, Father, right now, I thank you that even in this Christmas season, Lord, let it be a prophetic declaration that hope is on the way. Let it be in our lives that the thing we've been preparing, praying and preparing for, you've already prepared for, that you're already putting together every detail. You're interweight lacing everything that we need behind the scenes, that God, you are a faithful God. And so, Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing and all that you are in Jesus' name. And somebody who believed it said, amen, amen. I love you guys.